Take your Bibles and turn with me to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1, and we're thankful to be with you. The worship was wonderful. Guests, thank you for being with us today, and visitors and returning guests. Such an honor to be with you today. I, I will say this, and, and um, we had a wonderful first service, great crowd, good spirit. And I uh, want to invite you this evening at 5 o'clock, I'll preach our vision series uh, entitled, Who We Are. And tonight we're going to deal with, just for a few minutes, on intentional relationships and uh, why we believe that. If you want to know our core values uh, as far as what we believe as a church uh, and where we stand, then go out here in our lobby and one of the walls there that have right across from the map of Simpsonville is our beliefs. We believe some doctrines there, what we believe doctrinally, but also what we believe in our how our church functions. And so those will be preached the next few weeks, and uh, we're looking forward to that. I hope nobody's running from the law, and uh, if that's the case, we'll have to, to, to get them out here. Uh, Zechariah chapter 1, and uh, we're going to look at uh, verse number 1 through about verse number 6. Before we get into the message, I want to thank the church last Sunday for uh, showing your appreciation and, uh, you know, just you being faithful and loving the Lord is, is, is good enough for me. I, you've been so good to my family, and I thank you for the cards, even some today, and just how you show uh, love for our family and have through these years. Hard to believe our next anniversary and this spring will be eight years together, and it has been a journey. It's been wonderful, a journey of faith, a journey of God's power and His might, and uh, thankful for that. My wife and I were able Monday to fly out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and spend four days with my mom and dad uh, celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And we flew back on Thursday, got in late Thursday night. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I have been all around that area, but I've never been to Jackson Hole, uh, to the Grand Tetons and the, and the Yellowstone National Park. We got to see uh, Old Faithful and uh, just different things there, all the different American bison. And uh, we didn't get to see the grizzly bear. That's what I wanted to see, but I get to see that every Sunday here at the church somewhere and uh, in the hallway. No, but I did get to see uh, some elk and some moose and different things, uh, just the, the nature and, and the beauty and majestic uh, views that we got to see, and I'm thankful for you. You know, when you go to a place like that and you, and you just... You unplug from society. I mean, it's it's so beautiful that you feel like, man, you're detached. You're not even in, you're you're not even in the same hemisphere. Uh, the news changes, everything changes out there, and it truly is a little refreshing getaway. And uh, we had planned that for for about a year or so for my mom and dad's celebration. And so their actual anniversary is the first or second week second week of November. But this was the only uh, time that we could make it work together. And so uh, just a wonderful time together. And I'm thankful to be back in beautiful South Carolina. Zechariah chapter 1, uh, the name Zechariah, the reason we're, we're in this book, I, I, I know it's a current, all of the Bible is very relevant. But today in which we live, with all of the things that are going on in this world, even as I speak, uh, there are nations uh, just just you know, killing each other and, and, and 
blowing their, their nations up and blowing up different cities and towns and killing the innocent. And, and, and of course, everything's eyes, all the world's eyes is on Israel right now. And, of course, that's the apple of God's eye. And we understand that. And it's brought me to a conclusion to the text in, in, in Zechariah, which is just right before Malachi, the last book of the, of the Old Testament, and then ushers in 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. And 400, if you look through Scripture, there was a lot of significance about the 400th year uh, in the nation of Israel. Uh, and, and you can go back, and that's a whole different time, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about Zechariah in that, in that sense. They had just come out of the captivity, though, in Babylon, 70 years. Uh, they were captive, and, and a remnant of Jews, about 50,000 Jews, were released under Darius, which was the king of the Medes and the Persians, and, and he sends these Jews back to, uh, to Israel, or to Jerusalem, if you will, to rebuild the walls under the uh, leadership of a man by the name of Nehemiah. Y'all remember Nehemiah? There's a whole book about him. Nehemiah is there. His responsibility is to rebuild the walls. There's another significant man in that he is to rebuild the temple. This would be the temple that Jesus would be in, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This would be the temple that would be destroyed in uh, AD 70. And so this temple would be rebuilt by a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a very important uh, figure in Nehemiah, Ezra, even in Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, Zerubbabel was the leader of building this, this temple that needed to be resurrected. And if you read the book of Haggai, Haggai is just two chapters. Haggai's message to the Jews is we've been here now for nearly 18 years, 16 years at the time he's preaching. And he said, uh, he said why are we still trying to build the temple? Why are we still, the temple is not complete and you're living in your own houses and your houses are, are, are ornate and, and you've put more attention into your houses than you have the house of the Lord. He said, we need to rise up and finish what we started. This is what God wants. God wants us to finish the temple. He used two prophets to preach that message to mobilize the Jews, if you will. One of those prophets is Haggai. Haggai was very important. It was a message. It was an encouraging message. Haggai was to get them to respond. And the second message, or the second messenger, the prophet, his name is Zechariah. Zechariah, actually there's 14, uh, 14 chapters in Zechariah. The first part of Zechariah is given dates, there's a specific time, uh, 520, I believe it is, 520 B.C. is when Zechariah is preaching this message around October or November, around this time of the year. He would be preaching this message to these Jews to remind them to return to the Lord. And it's a very specific message. It is a message that starts out with, with uh, kind of a strong tone. A message that they needed to hear. A message that we need to hear today. Because we have so far strayed from the Lord. We have gotten away. Our nation has gotten away. Our churches have gotten away from the message of the Lord. We have drifted so far. Hey, as goes the church in our nation, so goes the political front of our nation. You can complain all you want to and you say, Pastor, our political front in our nation, the, polit the politicians and different things, they're so corrupt. Hey, can I tell you the reason they're so corrupt is because our churches have gotten watered down and the message of Jesus Christ has gotten silent. 
And so Zechariah, even hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Zechariah is preaching that message to Israel, return to the Lord, return back to that relationship that you once had. I want you to look at three key names in verse number 1 of Zechariah chapter 1. Look with me, Zechariah chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto, here's the first name, Zechariah. This is, of course, the name of the book. Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Now, remember that. The Lord remembers. Now, look at the verse again. Unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. There's the second name. The second name that Berechiah bears is something that's very significant. If Zechariah means the Lord remembers, then Berechiah means the Lord blesses. So, remembrance, the Lord remembers, and the Lord blesses. Here's the third name. Notice this. The son of Idu, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your father. So, Zechariah means the Lord remembers. Then we have Berechiah. His name means the Lord blesses. And then the third name is Idu, which means at the appointed time. So the Lord remembers, the Lord blesses at the appointed time. It was a man by the name of Charles Feinberg, Dr. Charles Feinberg. He said this about this text. He said, God raised up Zechariah to proclaim that God remembered his chosen people and that he will bless them at his appointed time. Time. Now, this is the message that, that we have. Zechariah's laying the, 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 uh, the framework in the first six verses. Verses 1 through verse 6, we will see that God is laying the framework of this wonderful book. He raises up a prophet by the name of Zechariah. And that message that he preached to the Jew is the message that applies to us today, especially if you're discouraged. When you look around on the world front and you think that this evil in this world, that every, everything is attacking the, the name of God and the name of Jesus and the gospel, even attacking the, the Jew, if you will, as it seems like the whole world, Syria and Lebanon and, and Iran and, uh, of course, uh, Hamas and, and different ones there in Gaza and all of these places are now centered. The center point now has, has come to Israel, just like it was in the days of Zechariah. So is it today in 2023. We're still, uh, these are still God's chosen people. They're still the apple of God's eye. And these are the people that we must ally with and protect. God's going to be with them. And you understand that this message applies to us today, especially if you're discouraged in these evil days, and especially if you look around at the apathy and all the things that's going on in our country and in our churches, especially if you look around at the hostility that is happening on the news. If you turn to any news station today, you'll see wars and rumors of wars and missiles and bombs, and you'll see dead children, and you'll see dead women, and you'll see uh, families that are scattered. You'll see fear written on the face of all the people. Hey, why is it? Because we live in evil days and Zechariah is reminding the Jew to return back to the Lord. Hey, the application today is this. Hey, God's people. Hey, you are God's people. This is the church of Jesus Christ and we need to return back 
to the Lord. That message still applies today. The message that we see in the grace of our God and the hope of our God and the mercy that you just sung about of our God is that He still wants to spend time with us. He still loves us. You know, God could have given up on Israel years and years and years ago. But He never gave up on Israel. Why? Because He still has a plan for them. And God has a plan for us. We are the, we've been engrafted in. We are the children of God. We're the sons of God. Hey, listen to me. We, one day, God has a plan for us just like He has a plan for Israel. Now, God's plan for Israel is, is, is even through the tribulation, and we'll see some of that in Zechariah. But understand this. God's plan for us, the saved, one day the trumpet's going to sound, and we're going to be called out, and we're going to be with Jesus forevermore. But, but listen, it, things still go on. And we're going to see what happens in Zechariah. And in this introduction, Zechariah answers a basic, crucial question. How can, can we experience God's blessing during difficult times? Now remember, this was written to people who knew God and were in the process of rebuilding the temple. And Zechariah did not offer a new or different message. But since we do not always apply that we already know he starts with a basic principle. And sometimes we just need to get back to the basics. The first statement is this. Returning to the Lord is the key to experiencing His blessing. Now stay with me. Because this message is going to be like a helicopter. I don't need a runway. We're going straight up, all right? Don't need a run we're just going to hit the button and we're going straight up. So if you miss something, you're going to miss it. I don't need a runway this morning, all right? I've already preached this one time, so I'm excited to preach it again. Dr. Charles Feinberg notes this. He said, This call to return dare not be passed over lightly, for it is the basic fundamental plea of God throughout the Bible to all sinful men. The, the Hebrew word return is the word for turning or repentance. Here's what he says in verse number 3. Look at it with me. He says, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. What's the next word? Turn. Say it together. One, two, three. Turn. Turn. It means the direction that you're going, you need to change. Turn back to me. Return is what we would use. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. So we first come to God in repentance. This is what this word, return, is the word for turning or repentance. So when we first come to God in repentance and faith... And we, we come to Him and God, to, to God by faith. We, we know that in salvation. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we understand that we come to God through faith and we repent of our unbelief. We turn from that direction. And when we first come to God in repentance and faith, it is not just a one-time thing. Now, we're saved once and for all. Once we place our faith in the Lord, we're not continually being saved. But you understand that a life of repentance is a continual thing. You don't just repent one time. You repent and say, you know what, Lord, help me with this. I'm a sinful man. I, I have flesh. I'm sinful, but I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to return back to you. Often we're prone to wonder, right? We're prone to leave. We're prone to drift. We're prone to get lost. We're prone to leave our walk with God. We're prone when during discouraging times. We're prone to walk away from the Bible sometimes. We get distracted. We get busy. And guess what? This is a reminder for us to turn back to 
the Lord. Get back to your relationship with Him. The first thing that I want to give to you out of this message this, uh, this, this morning in returning back to the Lord is this. Returning to the Lord is necessary because of the wrath against all sinners. Returning to the Lord is necessary because of His wrath against all sinners. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says this, The Lord hath been dis sore displeased with your fathers. Short verse, very to the point. The Lord is displeased. He is not just displeased, He's not just upset. The Lord is sore displeased. The Lord is very angry. Now this may seem odd that Zechariah would start a message of hope and encouragement by talking about God's fierce anger toward sinners. The Hebrew expression is very strong. There's several grammatical devices that emphasizes the intensity of God's anger. The first is to be angry. Look back with me in verse 2. He says, he is sore displeased. It means that he is to be angry. The second thing that I see in verse number 2 is he emphasizes that anger with, with he is angry uh, when, meaning that he's sore displeased, meaning that he's angry, his anger is angry. That's a bad day when God's anger is angry. It's almost like a double anger. See, it's one thing for you to say, boy, I'm upset at my children. It's another thing for you to say, I'm about to sell them or give them away. It's one thing when your mother just looks at you and says, uses your whole name, like, like Stephen Andrew Cox. When my mother used to say, Stephen Andrew Cox, I knew that my lifespan was shortened. I knew that this could be corporal punishment. I knew that this was the next thing to the electric chair. I knew that I was, I was in grave danger when my mother said, Stephen Andrew Cox. Get over here right now. I knew that she was sore displeased. Her anger was angry. And Zechariah is saying that the Lord is sore displeased. He is ticked off. He's not just upset. He's not just a little miffed. He's not just a little uh, peeved at the situation. He is ticked off. And when you're ticked off at something, you grit your teeth, your face becomes a little red and flushed, and you are angry. You can feel it bullying up in your soul, and you understand that God is a jealous God. Now, this may wreck your idea of God, because all we hear anymore today is God is love, and God is mercy, God is grace, and yes, He is those things, and I thank the Lord for that, and I'm so wonderful. But you understand, God is a jealous God. He is a holy God. He's a righteous God. God and he cannot tolerate when we do unholy things and we belong to him does this picture of God being very angry against sinners fit with your view of him we, we ghibli say sometimes that God hates the sin but loves the sinner as if somehow the sinner will never experience God's wrath against him but just against his sin but that's not true God does not separate the sin from the sinner. Now, that may mess you up. But in order for him to judge the sin, he often has to judge the sinner. He doesn't separate it. You continue in that sin that you know that angers the Lord. And see what will happen. America is 
reaping what we are sowing. Our nation has drifted away from the Lord. We were founded on godly principles. We were founded on God's Word. We were founded with fathers who believed God and entrusted God in and, and everything that we do. It's all over the inscriptions in our nation's capital and all over our nation and on our currency and everywhere you see God. And we used to be under God, but we're no longer there. We've drifted out from under His hand. And we're reaping it. We're reaping it. Whether you agree with this or not, we're reaping the judgment of God right now. God is chastising even us, our nation. And yes, we can still have the blessings of God under judgment, but do you understand this? As a nation, we're reaping it and we're losing ourselves in the matter of all of this when, when God is judging our nation so, and God will judge us when we drift away. So returning to the Lord is necessary because of His wrath against all sinners. He is certainly a God of grace. He's full of love and mercy to every sinner who repents. But in His holiness, God cannot and does not wink at sin or treat sin lightly. His terrible wrath against all unrepentant sinners, as seen especially in the fearful doctrine of eternal judgment of hell, should cause us to fear and trembling because we fear God. There's not enough preaching today on judgment. There's not enough preaching today on hell. There's not enough preaching today on the the consequences of your decisions. We come to church and we want to just feel good about everything. And listen, I want you to leave encouraged. But how in the world can we understand grace without understanding judgment? How can we understand about heaven when we don't understand about hell? I want you to picture flying on a commercial airline. I've met some people that's members of our church or attend our church who've never flew before. That blows my mind. But you know what? You're probably better off. Flying is a hassle today. Flying is, is not what it used to be. And, uh, you know, they try to make your flight as comfortable as possible. The stewardess will come down the, the, the little aisle there and she'll make sure that you're comfortable and uh, obeying the, the rules of the plane. Your seats are buckled and your uh, head rest is, is not in a reclined position and you're uh, there, nothing, your tray table's not out, and they go through all that process. But, but what if that stewardess came by and said, in order to make your flight more comfortable, we're handing out parachutes today. We want you to put this parachute on and strap it around yourself. And uh, just in case of the emergency, but this is, going to, this is going to make your flight a lot more comfortable. And, of course, you put that big old parachute on, and you strap it around you and put, put your arms through the holes, and you're sitting there and that thing is making you kind of bound up and it's rubbing up against your neck, kind of chafing your neck there and you're just sitting there and you're thinking, man, I've got a three-hour flight. This is not comfortable at all. He said this would be comfortable. She said this would be comfortable. And so I'm taking this stupid thing off. I'm throwing it under the seat and I'm getting this where I can relax. I cannot relax wearing a parachute. But your attitude would change. If the pilot came on the intercom and said, folks, we have an emergency, uh, we've lost all power to the engine. You would then grab the parachute and you would put that thing on in love and hopes that it would save your life if you had to bail out of this airplane before it hit the ground. The message that Zachariah has given to them is what I'm going to say to you is not very comfortable, but it is very needed. 
You're not going to enjoy the message right off the bat. You're not going to enjoy wearing the parachute. You're not going to enjoy wearing the things. But I can promise you that in the end of this thing, it's going to be better for your soul. It's going to be better for your life. It's going to be better for the outcome. You may not always enjoy the service. And if you want to go to to a church where you always feel good, there's a bunch of them around. And you can go and you can feel good and you can have a good slap on the back and a good hug where the man kisses all the babies and everybody just is so smiley. and, and all. But let me tell you, the state of our world is not like that today. We need somebody to echo the call and say, Hey, wake up. Wake up. Wake up, church. Wake up, society. Wake up, Christian. Wake up, world. Hey, wake up, lost individual. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Here's the second thing. Returning to the Lord is not just because of the wrath as necessary because of His wrath to all sinners, but returning to the Lord is the human response that opens the supply of God's personal grace. Look with me in verse 3 of Zechariah chapter 1. The Bible says, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Notice how many times he calls him the Lord of hosts. Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the second time. And I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now returning to God means turning from my sin which is repentance. We've seen that just a minute ago. I repent, I turn from. It is impossible to cling to my sin and reach for God's salvation at the same time. So so to grab His salvation, I must let go of my sin. And it it, it is not just a one-time thing, of course. Uh, the, The first time any sinner repents and trusts God's sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ, God pardons him completely. But since sin keeps creeping into our old sinful flesh and creeping into our life, we must continually turn back to God and say, God, I have... I've sinned against you. I don't know how I've ended up in this mess. I don't know how I've drifted so far away. But God, I'm coming back home. And He will take you just as you are. See, returning to the Lord is the human response that opens up God's personal grace. The Bible warns that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. So holiness is impossible if we do not develop a lifestyle of repentance or turning from sin to God. And it's important to note this, that God takes the initiative in this process. I believe it's James that says, Draw nigh unto him, and I will draw nigh unto you. So when you draw nigh to God, he then draws nigh to you. It's God's presence when we turn from God and we go into sinful behavior or just away from Him, you understand we lose the blessings and the presence of God. I picture it as the sun. The sun brings warmth. It brings light. But when we turn from it and and get away from it, it's awful dark out there. And it's dark and the light no longer is there and the warmth of God's presence is no longer there. The same thing, we are seeking God's Presence. Scripture is clear that even though repentance is our responsibility, we cannot do it in our own strength. It is the gift of God that we must depend on Him to grant it. And please note that the Lord of hosts does not say, return to keeping my law. Return to Zechariah. Return to the temple. No, He says, return to me. 
You know what God's grace is? He wants a personal relationship with you. Think about it. Church, just think about this for a second. As sorry as we are, God still wants to spend time with us. As prone as we are to wonder, God still loves us. Think about all Israel did to God. Think about how many times the Bible says they hardened their hearts and they stiffened their necks and they went after false gods. They served Baal. They served Ashtaroth. They served all these different gods and they went to doing all these strange things. And guess what? Though God judged them, God never gave up on them and God has never given up on you. God loves you. And we understand that He says... Spend time with me. Return to me. I'm not suggesting that we can disobey God's standard of holiness and yet claim to follow Him, but I am saying that the heart of repentance is the fact that we are turning to a personal God who loves us and relates to us on a personal level. He wants to spend time with you just where you are. You say, Pastor, where is that? I'm talking about 5 o'clock in the morning at a kitchen table. I'm talking about on the way to work, in your car, if you're driving. I'm talking about in between your lunch breaks or whatever and you pull the Bible out and you read it and you pray and you walk with God. God wants to spend time with you on a personal level. He calls out to every person, every sinner, He calls them to a personal relationship. Here's what God says, Return to me that I may return to you. You may think your sins disqualify you this morning. You may think you've went too far. But if you will trust Jesus' blood and your sin is forgiven, the door is wide open, the invitation is personable, return to me. He's saying in verse 3, turn to me. Charles Simeon, a great preacher of yesteryear, hundreds of years ago, Charles Simeon said this, search the inspired volume, search the annals of the whole world and find, if you can, one mourning and believing penitent who he cast out or find, if you can, any limit to his mercy and grace. Just go ahead and I, I challenge you. Go ahead and find someone who has exceeded the bounds of grace. Go find someone that has sinned too much for God to save. Thus, Zechariah, he's showing us our desperate need to return to the Lord, namely his fierce anger against those who persist in sin. Here's the third thing. Returning to the Lord is what we should learn from the history of God's people. Now really, here's the, here's the meat of the message. All of the others were understanding Zechariah's laying the groundwork. Hey, turn to God, turn to God, turn from your sin. God's about to judge. He's very angry at our sin. Let's return back to the Lord. But the prophet brings up these three warnings from history and I want us to examine them for just a few minutes. Look with me in verse number 4. The Bible says this, Be ye not as your fathers, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings. But they did not hear nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. The first history lesson that I see here in this history is the history lesson should teach us about disobedience. The Bible says clearly in verse number 3 or 4 they, that, they, that be ye not as your fathers. 
by Father Zacharias talking about their ancestors, the ones that had went on, especially those who had been responsible for that Babylonian captivity. The reason they were in captivity at all is because they would not obey the voice of God. The reason that, that, that God allowed the Babylonians to come and take them and capture them and hold them hostage is because of their sin. And he's saying, your fathers did not listen, so don't be like your fathers. It ought to teach us that disobedience always brings division. They refused to listen and obey. Now, there was a more blatant uh, than, than even in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 42 and 43, when the people came to Jeremiah the prophet, and they said, Jeremiah, will you, will you tell us what God, tell us what we need to do in order to get back to God? And Jeremiah told them in, in Jeremiah 42 and 43, and guess what? They heard it, but they did not do it. There is a danger with that. Heavy, heavy will hang over our, our heads for hearing the message and still refusing to do the message. What a grave responsibility. You will hear it. Oh, I don't know if I like Bible Baptists. They, they tell you the truth down there. That's right. And the truth, though you may not like how it goes down, you'll like the outcome if you'll obey it. So disobedience teaches us that we should return to the Lord. The divine warning is not to be like our fathers. That's what he's saying in verse 4. In their stubborn disobedience, most of us are more affected by the sins of our parents and grandparents than we even realize. If we've been blessed with godly parents, then certainly we should follow their godly example. There's some of you sitting in here today. You have godly moms and godly dads. You have godly grandparents that love the Lord. Listen, watch their example. I got to see my mom and dad this week at celebrating 50 years of godly marriage, holy matrimony. They have stuck it out through the, through the hard times and they are celebrating 50 years of marriage. And I watched them, my wife watched them, and we have watched them ever since our marriage. Why? Because they have been a godly example to us. Now some of you are not, you don't have that. Your, your mom and dad were not uh, godly people. They were not the examples. Guess what? Won't you be the example? Be the example. Zechariah had a godly heritage. He had Idu. He had Berechiah. He had these ones that were great examples so he could follow. Hey, what an example for us. Let's not be disobedient. When I was, my kids were small. I just, Jake and Peyton were just little. One day we're driving in the North Carolina mountains. This is years ago, way before I ever came to Bible we're driving through the North Carolina mountains about this time of the year. Leaves changing. It was beautiful. I'm coming around the curve there on a Blue Ridge Parkway. Kids are in the back. We're looking at all the colors. All of a sudden, I slammed the brakes on, screeching. I mean, we went probably seven or eight feet on the road. And there's a car parked on the parkway, not on the side, looking at the leaves. I about rear-ended this car. I rolled the window down. I said, hey, you jerk, move out of the way. I mean, I literally did. You said, that's mean. I know. I hollered, and all of a sudden in the rear, I heard, hey, you jerk, move out of the way. It was my little girl who has a mouth on her. <laughs> she repeated what her daddy said. Now, it grieved me in a way that, oh, good night. I have to, I got to watch what I say. I've often prayed, 
for my children that God would protect them from my sins. Your kids are only going to be as spiritual as you are. They're only going to be as faithful as you are. Now, I realize God's grace can extend that, and if mom and dad wasn't faithful, and I'm not saying that God can't use you and God can't bless you and God can't raise you up to, to overcome that. Listen to me, church. If you're raising your children up in church and you're, you're supposed to be a Christian family and a godly family, you understand that your kids are watching you. They're watching how you act. They're watching how faithful you are to church. Dads, your son's watching you worship the Lord. He'll only worship like you do. He'll more than likely speak like you speak. He'll more than likely treat his wife like you treat their mother. It's a a sombering thing, but that's exactly the father's. And, And what Zechariah is saying is, don't be like your father's. Man, my dad and I were talking about it this week. My great-great-grandfather was a bad man. He did a lot of bad things. They said he was just, he, he, he was a, almost like, a, like an outlaw. My, then my great-grandfather, the same thing, though he called himself a circuit-riding preacher. He would go and uh, preach around, they said he was a drunk. And, and this is from West Virginia. He would ride a horse to different churches and he would preach. And, and often uh, my grandpa would tell me that when he was a little boy, my, grand, my great-grandpa would come home and they couldn't pay him, obviously, in money. So they, they gave him chickens and eggs and ham and, and gave him that. That's, that's what he did. And he preached. I think he did some coal mining, but he was a drunk and not really what he was supposed to be at home and, and a mean man. Then my grandpa was an alcoholic. A mean man would leave home for three or four days and just leave. He supported the family. He worked hard, but he would leave until about 75 years old. My grandpa got saved, and God changed my grandpa's life. He never drunk again, never was abusive, ever, never caroused again, never womanized again. He, he, le- he left that old because God changed his life. My grandpa, at the age of 90, went to be with the Lord a few years ago. My dad grew up in a very abusive home. My uncle, both my uncles, one uncle is still living today, a good man. My other uncle died just a year and a half ago of fentanyl poisoning. My dad, at the age of five years old, saw the abuse in the house, saw my grandma cry herself to sleep many nights. My, grand, my, my dad, at the age of five, climbed up on my grandma's lap and looked at her and said, Grandma, if it'd make you happy, I'll never drink. My dad will turn 70 years old this April and he's never tasted alcohol. He broke a curse. He chose to be different. He said, I'm not going to do like my daddy did. I'm not going to do like my great-granddaddy did. I'm not going to do like my great-great-granddaddy did. I'm not going to do like my family did. I'm going to be different. He didn't know God. He wasn't saved. They didn't even go to church until he was 15. But he knew that alcohol had wrecked his family, and he knew that there was something better than that. Hey, church, we don't have to just go because someone else went. Be different. It's exactly what Zechariah is preaching. Be different. Be a different Israelite. Be a different Jew. Love the Lord. Return back to Him. Don't do like your ancestors did. The second history lesson about delay. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they 
live forever? Zechariah's point in verse number 5 is that spiritual opportunity does not last forever. Zechariah is giving the, the question, where are your fathers? Where are they? Church, look at me. The fathers have died. Where's the prophets? The former prophets had died. And Zechariah is saying, listen, this opportunity for you to follow the Lord is not always going to be there. Take advantage of it now. The opportunity is now. Where's the fathers? Hey, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. Every one of us, if we're not here when the rapture takes place, those that are saved when the rapture takes place will be called up together to meet the Lord. But those of us that are, that are, that are uh, saved, we'll, we'll be with the Lord. So if you're not saved this morning, if you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, then get that settled. You say, well, I'm a procrastinator. I'll, I'll, I'll put it off maybe next week. No, no, no. The time is now. I'll read my Bible sometime. I'm challenged, Pastor. I'll, I'll read my Bible. No, no, no. Don't read it sometime. Read it now. I'll worship one day. No, no, no. Worship now. I'll pray one day. No, no. Pray now. Zachariah is asking the question, your fathers, where are they? Well, they're dead. Well, where's the prophets at? They're dead. Hey, one day, church, I won't stand in this pulpit. There's something may happen to me. You'll have it on video. Play it again. Play it. Replay it. The pastor said it. He said that he's not always going to be around, and that's true. Hey, I'd love to die here. I would love to just pastor this church and retire and just go through years of just serving the Lord together. But what if God doesn't want it that way? Do you just look up here and say, well, the pastor's gone. Guess that's it. Good run. That was a good ride. No, no, no. The Word of God is what lasts forever. Get you a man that proclaims God's holy word. Thus saith the Lord. Just like it is. You may not always feel good about it. You may not always like it. You may not always like what he says. But understand this. That if God said it, that settles it. Once and for all. Zachariah said, listen, you're not always going to be around. I'm not always going to be around. But God's word will always be here. Do they live forever? No, they don't. But his words does. Here's the last thing, the history lesson about divine discipline should teach us to return to the Lord. Look at verse 6. But my words and my statues which I commanded my servants, the prophets. Now here's the question. Did they not take hold of your fathers? And they returned and said, like as the Lord of hosts thought to do unto us according to our ways and according to our doings, so, listen to the last phrase, so hath he dealt with us. The way that we've been living, the way that we've been going, the Lord has dealt with us. Let me say this, I'd much rather get dealt with by man than dealt with by God. This should teach us to turn to the Lord. The people who repented probably refers to those that suffered consequences of the captivity. After the nation was destroyed, they went into captivity. They came to their senses. They realized that God's prophets had been right the whole time. They admitted that. And so they're leaving back to Jerusalem. 
these people probably realized we're the reason why this has come on us. And I believe the main idea of verses 5 and 6 together is although your fathers died and even God's prophets died, His Word still is with you. His Word is always true. And when God's Word warns us of discipline in our own sin, it is not an idle threat. It is not some... Uh, some uh, dictatorship, if you will, or some kind of brow-beating moment. It is just a truth that if we reap our, or if we sow our sins, we will reap it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Go ahead and sow it. If you sow of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow of the Spirit, you'll reap eternal things, eternal life. You'll reap those things that last forever. Listen to me. Go ahead and reap the flesh. But I promise you God's Word will not return void and you will be judged for it. You cannot dodge God's Word when it warns. You'll reap it. Church, the history of God's dealings with His people, should teach us to return back to the Lord. Just six verses. I think Zechariah is going to be one of our favorite Old Testament books. They call it a minor prophet, but it's minor in no way. It's minor maybe in size. It still has 14 chapters. But it is certainly not minor in truth. Zechariah had a message. And by the way, if you say, Pastor, that message you preached this morning, that, that was awful heavy. No, no, no. The grace that's in this message ought to encourage you that God wants us to return to Him. The key theme is not your sin. The key theme is His grace. Despite your sin, He loves you. He wants to spend time with you. If you're unsaved here this morning, listen church, if you're unsaved here this morning, now's the accepted time. I'll get that done next Sunday. No, no, may not be here next Sunday. Now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Let's let's pray.